This is ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 106, the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery, the vampire metaphor. Few creatures of the night have captured our imagination like vampires. What explains our enduring fascination with vampires? What is it about the vampire myth that explains our interest? Is it the overtones of sexual lust, power, and control? Yes, indeed. What is our enduring fascination with vampires? I'm going to attempt to answer that on the show today. Uh, my name is Russ Shaw. This thanks for downloading the podcast and putting me in your earbuds and letting me speak right into your cranial upper frontal lobe. <laughs> I'm honored to uh, to knock around inside your uh, your brain matter there. I think it's fun. It's, it's gushy and little synapses firing and anyway I don't know that's kind of weird and creepy but uh, uh, just wanted to say uh, hey how you doing I am your host uh, your disaster of a, of a host your uh, still working on not being as much of a disaster your absolute um, not professional host doing the uh, show once again in my van um, Again, I'm a, I'm a nobody pizza man who um, wants to tell you about uh, a somebody who is Jesus Christ. That is my Lord and Savior. If that offends you or you feel like that's religion or something like that, I don't blame you. Um, but hear me out. I've got a lot to say to you today. This is going to be fun because I'm going to offend a lot of religious people talking about vampires. So I continue to pray for my brothers and sisters in the church that they would take the blinders off and see that uh, self-righteous, legalistic, cold-hearted, I'm better than you religion is is a sin to be repented of. It's not admirable. Um, nobody cares how cool and moral and puffed up you look on the outside of the cup. Um, Again, it's a sin to be repented of, and I will continue to relentlessly hammer that message as I do the show um, and as I talk about sexual ethics in our, in our culture in 2010 um, Western English-speaking culture. Uh, it's raining today in Seattle as I do the show from my, uh, from my van once again. Uh, if you hear that in the background, that is uh, Seattle rain that comes out of the sky most of the time here. It just does. Few creatures of the night have captured our imagination like vampires. What explains our enduring fascination with vampires? That is the band uh, 
Godsmack got its name from uh, one of the band members talking about, um, like, you know, you're a teenager or in your 20s or whatever, and you get like a big zit on your face or like a boil or something like that. It's called a Godsmack. <laughs> That's how the band got their name. It's kind of a funny religious doctrine type of deal. Uh... But anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's the band Godsmack Vampires. I uh, wanted to say a few things about this show today. Um, I am not encouraging the occult. Um, I wanted to stress that and talk about that. That uh, yes, uh, the Bible says that as Christians we are not to be engaged with occult practices or black magic or witchcraft or anything like that. Seances, tarot cards. Um, don't go get a reading, all right? Uh, well, I want to talk to my dead relative. Well, you know what? There's real spiritual stuff going on out there. And when you think you're picking up the phone to talk to a dead relative, you more than likely will be talking to a demon. Um, that's just the way things are. It's not just what I believe uh, from the study of this stuff. There are real spiritual realities out there, and they will lie to you. That's all they do, is they lie. They try and keep you in bondage. When they do tell the truth, they use it like the point of a dart to drive it deeper into your heart to get you to believe a, a deeper lie. Um, so again, I wanted to stress that, that I'm not encouraging occult practices or, or occult use. I know that the uh, the success of the Twilight books, um, talking about this this vampire story, has also brought out a, bu a bunch of other books that have to do with occult and um, demonology and some really dark stuff. The funny thing is these books aren't selling that well. Um, they're trying to, you know, get on the bandwagon with the Twilight, but it's not really a very good heart-level message, and just like any other boring religion, um, people don't care that much but I do see how um, Twilight and that kind of thing can start unhealthy passion for that kind of thing right the, the vampire thing because if that's the only time you see passion or this kind of love then you think that it comes from vampires yeah that's some serious confusion there I think it has less to do with vampires and more to do with uh, what you believe to be true and that's what I wanted to, uh, I, I, to, to my message to the Christians why am I talking about vampires on Halloween um, that's just important for you to understand uh, the Acts 17 um, Mars Hill approach that I'm taking to this vampire metaphor I know I've told this story before but I'm gonna reiterate it for this metaphor just to help you understand that uh, again, I'm not encouraging occult practices here, but can we admit that vampires in our culture is something that everyone understands, everyone sees, everyone can relate to that metaphor? Everyone's seen some kind of a vampire movie, um, unless you live in a box or you're Amish, you live in a shell, um, therefore you probably wouldn't have an iPod or an iPhone, you wouldn't be listening to me right now. So I'm gonna talk to my audience, all right? Uh, Acts 17, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul goes to Mars Hill. Now, Mars Hill was this place in Athens, Greece, where everybody would talk about um, issues of uh, philosophy and, and uh, 
theology and you know let me do just talk about the issues right a bunch of men would get together and and mull over different philosophies and things that uh how did the bible put it um that would get people excited for a day right these different ideas so paul goes to this place and to athens and as he's walking through athens he sees monument after monument of, of greek gods and you know it was said that in those times it is easier to find a god in, in Athens Greece than a, than a man because of all the, the idolatry and and his heart is stirred up in anger right like he is upset and, and distraught over all of this this these idols all over the place and he sees this one that says um, to the unknown God, right? So all the bad stuff that happens in their culture, they they figure that they need to sacrifice to some God, right? They must have ticked some God off. That's why we have a famine, or that's why there's a hurricane, or that's why bad stuff is happening. So we need to, you know, appease this angry God, you know, this idol, and that's what they would do. So if there was some God that they didn't know about, they made this little, you know, thing this little uh, empty podium thing and they titled it engraved on it was to the unknown God so Paul the Apostle Paul walking around Greece instead of having this finger pointing attitude right he sees this monument and he sees a way in a way to talk about the issues a way to talk about Jesus Christ in this realm of, of so-called modern men of the time and philosophy you know, in their in theology in their day and age. So he says, I want to talk about this unknown God. Um, what could he have done? What would most Christians have done like in the 80s and 90s? And, you know, uh, most Christians would just point the finger and freak out and start a, a campaign, you know, boycott Athens, you know, right? They would freak out, they would distance themselves and... Um, that just doesn't help anybody, does it? I don't understand Christians who don't um, participate in, in trick-or-treating, for example, on, on Halloween. Here here in, in the United States, Halloween, Halloween can be, yes, a religious, uh, satanic deal. Yes, it can be, absolutely. But redeeming that holiday, I believe, is something that we can do as Christians. Here's a day where your neighbors open their doors and hand out candy to kids, all right? One day a week, you could get to know your neighbors. You could shake your hands with your neighbors. You could, hey, buddy, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. My name is Russ. I live right over there if you ever need anything, you know. I mean, this is a day where people are open to other people in their neighborhoods, especially around here in the Seattle area. Like, we have a weird kind of culture around here where it rains a lot, so people aren't out all the time. And, I mean, you can live next to someone for five years and never get to really know them or talk to them or even know their name, sadly. Um, but this is a day where if you want to engage the culture around you, you can do that. You can lovingly shake hands, lovingly talk to, um, right, see, a, see an in for being friends, being loving on people that live near you. And the Bible specifically says that. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ if you're a Christian. Loving your neighbor doesn't mean you distance yourself from them. I, I saw a great metaphor for this, um, the view. 
Um, here in the United States, we have this television program called The View, and it's on, it's like a news, kind of a news show. It's more of a um, opinion show, but what they do is Barbara Walters, who's an older um, news hound uh, interviewer, she's famous for doing interviews with celebrities and um, famous people, politicians over the years. So she started this show called The View, where she'll bring on um, different celebrities and they will talk about the issues from their point of, of view, right? And that's the view. It's kind of like our modern day um, look at, at Athens. Um, usually it's swayed towards one way or the other. It's usually swayed towards, uh, uh, you know, one opinion, right? They'll bring one guy on with a separate opinion and all these other people will will attack him usually. But it's, that's kind of how it is. But if somebody's good on their toes and can actually argue and, and talk about the issues without making it personal, then they're, they're pretty good. Um, on this show, The View, they had this guy Bill O'Reilly on. Now, Bill O'Reilly's this staunch conservative type, and usually the people on The View are very, very left-wing type folks talking about the issues, right? Um, Whoopi Goldberg and, and uh, I, I can't remember. But anyways, <laughs> these, these women. So they bring on Bill O'Reilly. And I don't agree with Bill O'Reilly on everything, and I don't agree with The View ladies on everything either. Most of the time, I don't agree with when I watch that show. I'm usually... I'm usually mad. That sound means I'm low on gas. Anyway, sorry, I got distracted there for a second. Um, but anyway, they bring on this guy, Bill O'Reilly, and he starts saying stuff that offends the few ladies, right? He gets so offensive in his language, and I don't even remember what the topic was, but I remember what happened was um, Whoopi Goldberg and I believe it's Bette Midler is another one that's on the show. Is it Bette Midler? No. I, I don't remember. Anyway, she gets upset. The, these two women get so upset that they walk off stage, right? They're bleeping them out and stuff, and you know, and so they walk off stage. Barbara Walters reacts to this, and she says, "I I, I rebuke my." colleagues. I think it's sad that my colleagues just walk off stage, that they can't talk about the issues, right, without getting upset and having to distance themselves from the person. This show is called The View, she says, and in The View, we talk about our view. We don't make it personal, and I thought that was awesome. That's a good way to look at uh, the, the debate at Mars Hill from the Apostle Paul, bringing out this this. God, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a man, right? In the last show I talked about that, you know, undercover boss metaphor. That God lovingly, he loves us so much that he would come to earth as a man and, you know, engage us and get in our situation with us. Love us like that. The Apostle Paul communicating that converts some people. Intelligent people, people with degrees, right? People who are wise in their culture standard. Gets them to understand and see who Jesus is. So that's my uh, my heart in in doing this vampire metaphor because I think that um, when you look at this metaphor, especially from Bram Stoker's point of view. Um, the guy who wrote Dracula, I believe that Bram Stoker was a Christian. I believe that there's a lot of Christian um, stuff in the book 
Dracula. Yes, the vampire metaphor goes back farther than Dracula, but Dracula was the first um, book to really make it big. Um, still today, we have films in Twilight, for example, that are all based on Bram Stoker's um, vision of what a vampire looks like. So what I want to do a little bit in this vampire metaphor show is go through a little bit of history on uh, Bram Stoker. And I wanted to, um, as a guy who tries to communicate to the heart by means of word pictures myself, um, I look at Bram Stoker, I believe he was a Christian, even though there's not really a, a real accurate biography on the man. Um, here's the evidence that I have towards... Um, believing that Bram Stoker was a blood-bought Christian believer in Jesus Christ, um, trying to communicate a heart-level message, um, an emotional word picture to help speak to the culture of his day. Uh, the book Dracula, the first release of the book, came out in 1897. Um, before the book was released, uh, another man who... Um, put out a very famous book as well, um, a guy named Charles Darwin in 1859, his first release of the book, um, The Origin of the Species, this was the first title of it in 1859, The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. In 1872, the title was shortened because in 1859 it only released about 1,255 copies, right? Not real big in that time, I believe, because a very controversial title talking about racism. A little history of racism because it was kind of a hot-button issue at the time. Again, I'm not saying that all atheists are racists. I am saying that if you look at the roots of a thing, um, you can see a little clearer. Uh, Darwin putting... Um, the note uh, of being a pure species, right, humans and race origin and all of that, in his book, in the title, points back to something that was going on at the time. Great, a great movie about the uh, slave trade, the abolishment of slavery in the late 1700s, early 1800s is this movie Amazing Grace. It's the story of John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. And uh, it's not really totally on his story, but the lawmakers and the people who fought a war on hearts and minds to free the, the African slave trade in um, Europe at, at the time. So about the time John Newton died, is 1807, um, the British stopped the slave trade, the slave ships from Africa, um, bringing African slaves into Europe. Uh, the United States followed suit in 1808. You fast forward to 1833, the Parliament in England uh, abolished slavery altogether. Um, it was not okay to own people as slaves. Uh, the United States fought a war over it, right, in the slave, the North versus the South. Slavery was a super hot-button issue in the United States, here where I'm at. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a big-time deal, the Civil War. Um, this was uh, Abraham Lincoln. 
So again, I'm not saying again. I'm not saying that atheists are all racist, and that's not the point of this. Um, religious people don't get off the hook here. Uh, in the United States, the Church, Southern Baptists, the LDS Church, um, which was starting to grow at that time, uh, some of the other denominations in the South decided that um, black people weren't human beings. It was okay to own them. Um, just disgusting propaganda, not just in the United States, but in Europe as well. Um, I saw these posters online of, of some of the gross propaganda that they had at the time, putting up pictures of a, of a black man in, in chains around his hands and around his feet, and a little banner at the bottom saying, they're not our brothers, they're not human beings, or they're not people. Uh, I can't remember the exact caption, but just disgusting um, way that they, they treated people back then, um, trying to get their own sick, heartless, blood-sucking agenda put forward. And that that's still that same heart condition, in even in the church, that was carried through um, the, the I, I, I hesitate to use that word, the church, just sick religious people in the South went all the way up to the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s, um, which introduced um, Dr the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who said in the I Have a Dream speech that, uh, you know, religious people <laughs> will even use their religion to protect racism. You know, talking about uh, some of the doctrine of the LDS Church at the time who said that, you know, because Cain and Abel and the, the three brothers and, and because the black race was somehow cursed in, in their their way that they decided to interpret the Bible. This is not biblical, right? This is just what they came up with, but Dr. the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King touches on that in the I Have a Dream speech. He was just as, as uh, going after religious people and religion as, as I am, as, as any uh, reformer who wants people to understand the gospel over just cold-hearted empty blood-sucking religion. And not just the LDS Church, but the Southern Baptists. Um, I mean, just, it, it, it's not the denomination or the religion, it's the cold-hearted um, attitude of racism that was in their hearts. And using religion to protect that is just gross and disgusting and awful. And, and Dr. King um, rightfully points that out with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, I like to remind people of. Um, here in, in Seattle, King County in Seattle has uh, changed their little logo for King County. It used to be like this little crown, and now it is a, uh, it's a small little avatar of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. So, 1897, Bram Stoker uh, puts out the book Dracula. Not the first vampire book. Um, the vampire myth had started before, but he was the first one to really put a heart-level message to it and to um, start sign up kind of rules that vampires had to live by. Like there was a certain uh, vampire doctrine that they had to adhere to in, in Bram Stoker's book, Dracula. Um, filled, his story filled with Christian symbolism. Um, I believe to communicate the gospel to a culture that was um, where this this message of atheist uh, science, so-called truth, 
of the day was really catching fire and I think that he wanted to put this message out to say what if um, kind of like that movie uh, The Usual Suspects another jacked up movie rated R anyway uh, but where he says at the end of the, the book or, or that movie where you know the greatest um, deception of the devil is convincing people that he does not exist love that line uh we we have an enemy. That's the truth. Um, the Dracula, the vampire, in the in the film, the 1931 film was a, a little different. It was an adaptation. The screenplay was you know loosely based on on the book, but more on the play. Um, but in the book and the movie, the the traveler who is going to Dracula's castle um, experiences. You know, some resistance and people warning him, yeah, don't be hanging around that dude. And this woman, well, he's just like, oh, you know, you guys are all just kind of superstitious or whatever. Um, this woman gives him a crucifix. And uh, it's in the book as well. The crucifix, um, communion wafers in the book that are, are used to keep Dracula away. Um, th these rules, I, I love the... The boundaries that he puts on on the vampire to communicate this kind of a heart level message of the blood sucking freak that is the the devil the the demons the our enemy um, lurks in the dark can't go out in the sunlight um, Bella Lugosi playing uh, Dracula in in the film the 1931 film a classy guy right the guy uh, he comes to meet. Dracula for the first time, the Traveler, and he seems like a pretty, you know, nice, uh, very well, he's a count, okay, that means he, like, owns property, he's got wealth, um, dresses very nice, very dapper kind of a guy, uh, very well groomed, um, very classy, uh, you would look at the man and think, well, here's a guy with pretty good morals, right, on the surface, looks good, looks shiny, looks nice, well-dressed, um, well-groomed, well-kept, that kind of thing. This is some of the personality traits of, of Dracula. Um, a little little creepy, right, with his eyes and the freaky things he's doing. He kind of staring right through you with his eyes. and suck the life right out of you with his eyes. But that's kind of the nature of the vampire, right? Those are the traits of the vampire that not being able to age. Um, something C.S. Lewis wrote about uh, the, the immortality of not being able to age is like hell. <laughs> C.S. Lewis likened it to hell, to, be, to having to be stuck here in this world forever. Like C.S. Lewis's belief in, in ghosts, you know, he, he believes that ghosts, at least he wrote to this, I don't know if this is part of his uh, belief system or his doctrine, but he talked about ghosts being um, spirits that were in hell um, but stuck on this earth without no one being able to see them. Um, very few people being able to see them, interact with them, but being stuck in one place, a, a geographic location, and having to, you know, live there for until the end of time where they would be thrown into hell. That being a form of, of hell, being um, having to live in this world forever. Uh, Superhuman strength. The vampire has, right? Very strong beings. Um, another one is um, sexual lust. They're very attractive. 
um, creeping around in the dark, you know, in the early, uh, the book was Bram Stoker wrote it. Um, if they were out in the daylight, they would fry out in the light. This is another biblical reference to sin. Um, Jesus saying that, you know, we're creatures of the dark, you know, we, we don't like our deeds to be seen in the light. Um, the, this, these kinds of Christian symbolism, the, the crucifix, um, communion wafers in the book to, to keep vampires away, uh, stuff like that. In the Twilight books, written by Stephanie Meyer, I looked this up and creeped me out a little bit. I saw the date, which was October 5th, 2005, is when the first Twilight book was published. This is also um, about the time of my last sexual acting out. Started the show about a, mo a month and a couple of weeks later, towards the end of November of 2005. Uh, about a week after this, this release date that this book was published, I went to a men's group meeting, a men's retreat kind of a thing meeting, and uh, James Brook, a guy at... Uh, church I, I used to go to their AC3 in Marysville talking about victories and, and repentance and sin and me realizing that I'd gone a year without viewing pornography or using pornography gave me a huge boost of uh, of confidence to start this podcast I prayed about it in my basement and uh, ASI was born in late November of 2005 just a little after the uh the book was published, so October 5th, 2005. It's been five years. So Stephanie Meyer writes these books, and uh, I guess she's Mormon uh, in faith. I don't know. Take that as it may. Um, but she has this dream that inspires the books. And basically her dream is she dreams of this beautiful woman laying in a field, and uh, sunny day I guess and this vampire shows up glimmering and shimmering in the light wanting to love her and fighting everything that's in him not to murder her um, devour her suck her blood um, so take that however you may but that's what in inspires this, this series of books as so she writes the story of this vampire who falls in love with a, a mortal human woman and instead of um, biting her on the neck and all, all of that the Bela Lugosi story he pushes back all of his lust and sexual right lust and, and all of his anger and all of his vampire nature pushes it back because he loves this woman, and that's basically how the series of books goes. Um, there's sexual ethics to this series of books. Um, Bella loves him, wants him sexually, wants him to bite her on the neck, right, and all of that. Uh, not just the metaphor, but the sexual um, tension that they have together. Wants him to take her, and he says no. He doesn't. He refuses. He waits until they are married and they consummate their relationship, book three, when they get married, which I thought was pretty cool in the in the realm of sexual ethics. Um, again, my wife read the books, my, my daughter read the books, and, and no, they're not, um, you know, devouring vampire mythology and 
demonism and stuff like that. Just a, just a story, all right? Just romantic story, these books that I think have captured the culture. It's that kind of message, that heart-level message is the reason for the success of the Twilight series, I believe. There's a, there's a need in the females in this culture to look at a man who's not going to use sexually the, this woman, just trying to guess, trying to figure out, trying to trust. Is this guy just trying to get my pants? Or does he actually really love me? Does he really wanting to pursue a relationship with me? Or does he just want to F me, right? That's the, 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 the serious deal going on in our culture right now. Um, much like the atheist um, fears of, of that time in the Christian culture of the, the late, the mid to late 1800s. Um, I heard this story of uh, Abraham Lincoln going to, in the South, going to a slave auction. And he sees this woman who is being auctioned off, this black woman um, being auctioned off to the highest bidder. Looks around at some of the scumbag characters, um, the, the eyes of the scumbag characters that are bidding on this woman and he uh, he throws up a bid Abraham Lincoln you know, he's out bid he throws up another bid and he ends up uh, he ends up winning this woman he buys this this black woman uh, a slave on the auction block right there could you imagine what's running through her mind as, as Abraham Lincoln standing there with his uh, his hat right and his suit looking very well-to-do, looking very uh, wealthy, white um, man, thinking in, in, her, in her heart, what, what this guy is another white man going to use me for, is this guy going to devour me for, going to spill my blood, walking off the auction block, her head hung low in, in total despair. And, uh, Abraham Lincoln grabs her and brings her up and pays for her, takes her out into the to the square, out into the leaving the auction area, and, and says, um, "You're you're free." To this woman, and she looks at him and free free to what you know, free to be your slave or free to you know just this attitude towards him, and and he says, uh, "No, you you can go." I was like, she's like, well, you just paid all this this money for me. Um, you know, what do you want from me? And he says, oh, I want I want you to be free. I release you. And she, you know, scratching her head, is like, well, where am I supposed to go? He's like, you know, you can go wherever you want. You're free. You're a free woman. And she says, is it okay if I, I come with you? She follows Abraham Lincoln right to the north, and uh, I love that story. Um, fighting back the darkness, fighting back the, the vampire, because I believe that Bella Lugosi, in, in writing and starting this whole story, is talking about a nature that's in every single one of us. 
Every single one of us, we, we have this nature. We want to lurk in the dark. We want to suck the blood. There's falling into ourselves and getting away from God and getting away from worship and not realizing that we are worshipers. We start to just fall into the fact that just worshiping ourselves and giving everything, all the sacrifice into ourselves and becoming consumed with ourselves and how we look and this, this coldness of heart sets in. And it just sucks the blood out of other people. It sucks the life out of other people. I, I love that he put that in his metaphor. So I know what you're thinking. What does all this have to do with the seventh commandment and adultery, Russ? Um, 1897, Bram Stoker writes his book, Dracula. Was he motivated by fears of... Uh, this, this new atheist ideology that was out there? I don't know. I'm just bringing to some evidence to light. Maybe. Possibly. But what I think he was really after, and if I could get to the heart message of what he was really after, and, and maybe if I could see some of the, the how the fears uh, of this atheist ideology may have motivated him, I think it would be that without... God, we cement our habit of quitting. Because if there is no meaning and there is no purpose, the heart condition becomes cold. And we start to see the, the landscape of our life shorter. I need short-term pleasure for me now. I need escape for me now. Life is hard. I've been sinned against. I must toil. I need something. I need pleasure now. Not thinking about another trait of the vampire is this submission, right? The woman putting her neck forward for the vampire to bite her on the neck. That submissive thing. It's funny how a lot of sex addicts who are professionals, um, who are in authority, lawyers, judges, uh, folks like that who are sexually addicted are into this kind of S&M whips and chains and it's basically submission fantasies because they feel like they need to be in submission to something or someone. They are and their sexual arousal tied to that and it's addictive and it goes back to a lot of jacked up stuff from parents that were sexually abusive or parents that were just outright controlling sometimes people that made sex look dirty and horrible and I mean there's a lot of jacked up behaviors that come out of that lifestyle called sadomasochism Whips and chains, leather, right? Paint, pouring latex all over yourself. These are submission, spiritual submission acts of worship. The God of comfort, the God of self, going back to the first commandment, we start to sacrifice to that God. And the biggest way we sacrifice to that God is we quit with our purpose and our vision and our love for those that we've committed our lives to. The third of American children today will go to bed without a daddy. 
This has to do with the evolution of American psychology, of the Enlightenment age, of wimp, limp-wristed, spineless pastors who have brought this Enlightenment psychology attitude to their churches. Submitting to that vampire of self when we stop believing in love. And love is the key to killing the vampire. Because you're either killing the vampire or the vampire is killing you. dead in you. I want to leave the show on that note. You're not killing the vampire. The vampire's killing you. Alright? I love you guys. My name is Russ Shaw. The email address is russ at asi247.org You want to send me an email? The website is asi247.org We're always pouring out. We're continuing to pour out emotional, intellectual, spiritual energy all the time, okay? As I, 247.org is, is the website, it's part of it. Uh, yes, the metaphor of the undead, killing the undead in you. I wanna leave the show on that note. If you're not killing the vampire, the vampire's killing you. All right, I love you guys. My name is Russ Shaw. The email address is russ at asi247.org You want to send me an email? The website is asi247.org We're always pouring out. We're continuing to pour out emotional, intellectual, spiritual energy all the time. Okay? Asi247.org is, is the website. It's part of it. So I wanted to leave you with this piece of uh, holy scripture from 1 John chapter 1 starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I just want to interject something right here. Um, that word all, sin, it, it means all. Continuing on, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, for those of you who are keeping track at home, this is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. Continuing on. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Again, there's that word all. Verse 10, and this is a big one. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
That's the good news of the gospel. Facebook, you can look me up on Facebook. There's a link on the website. If you'd like to give a donation to uh, help keep this thing rolling along, you can do that on the website. If you think I'm a blood-sucking vampire, I still want you to go to the website, ASI247.org, and give to someone else. All right. Here's an example. There's a there's a link to a website where they drill wells in Africa. All right. Sadly, in my lifetime, I'll be honest with you, I've spent more money playing, right, paying money to water parks to play in the stuff, than to give other people who uh, need the stuff to drink. Okay. One out of three or four kids, something like that, in the world, die. Babies die because they don't get clean drinking water. In this wealthy, I'm sitting here, you're listening to your iPhone, your iPad, I'm sitting here, right, I'm pissing and moaning about driving to my job. I had a glass of water today, right? It's one way you can use your money instead of just being a consuming vampire, buying more new crap that we don't need to give out, to launch out, to get out of the labyrinth and start moving out with our finances towards pushing back what's evil in the world. Killing the vampire in culture. Because part of what comes flowing out of you is how you spend your money. It's like worship, we worship with money. We're going to spend Right? We're going to spend in our life. The question is on what? It's becoming generous, having a generous heart like God, giving his son. God so loved the world he gave. John 3.16, right? Generosity of our creator and the lover of our souls. So, yeah, there's a link to the, the website there to do that. Giving clean drinking water. Um, ASI, I also want to give clean drinking water metaphorically and uh, show you that uh, drinking from the toilet is just gross and it doesn't satisfy long term. So, I hope uh, my Christian brethren aren't too offended by me doing the vampire metaphor. It's a good story, the good movies, right? See, good sex, like a good story, has a great climax, right? Good story, good movie, building up throughout the story, solving the cognitive dissonance, right? Getting to the point where you're, wow, climax. You know, instead of these little, you know, uh, sexual addiction is kind of like, bad stories. There's no heart-level message that you get to, wow, that's awesome. No heart-level climax to the story. Look at every good epic movie that has done well at the box office throughout the years. There's some kind of a heart-level climax at the end of it. That's how God created sexuality to be. Like a beautiful romance that climaxes. It's going to climax on you killing the vampire. So I'll leave you with the song Dracula by Rob Zombie. How's that? Let's pray for Rob Zombie this week, okay? You get tempted, you get that stuff thrown into your mind. A good way to fight back is 
instantly. Just pray for Rob Zombie and his family. Love you guys. Till next time. Bye. Check this out. Here's a little blurb. This is from uh, OzFest. This is Rob Zombie talking about making culture. As you all know, you do not need me to tell you, this is the 10th anniversary of the OzFest. Some of you were probably about two when the first one happened, but that's okay. Anyway, before I came out here, I was on the phone talking to the New York Times about the OzFest. Well, that, you don't have to react to that. That is irrelevant. They were saying, isn't the OzFest just a bunch of old people? Nobody young goes to the OzFest. I don't even see any old people, except for John 5. But then I look at under lot 1C, check out the queue of the Mohawk. How old is that kid? 12, 14, I don't know. It's pretty badass for a 12 year old, I must say. My point being something I forgot long ago, obviously, but my point is, yeah, there's a lot of old people because they're all here with a bunch of young people called their children. Here's a song you might recognize, old people.